Good morning, church. Um, it's always such a great privilege and honor for me to be able to have an opportunity to share God's word with you. Um, and today is, is, is no exception. And so my name is Morandeni, and um, I'll be walking us through the series that we've been going through uh, as a church. And so uh, we, we, we have been going through a series titled Things Jesus Never Said. Um, and so in the first week, we looked at God won't give you more than you can handle. And the second week, God wants you happy. In the third week, it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, in the fourth week, it doesn't matter what you do. And then last week, do good unto others and they will do good unto you. So this is what we're discussing today. So <laughs> as uh, I, was, I was talking to a couple of people around what the theme for today is, they asked me if I was going to play the song. And there you go. I succumbed to peer pressure, unfortunately. Um, but that's what we're looking at today. This ever so popular statement that says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. An interesting fact this particular statement was written and penned by Friedrich Nietzsche, the, 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 the world-renowned philosopher. He penned these words at around 1888, um, saying what doesn't kill you makes you strong. And the context in which he wrote it was to say whatever hardship people are going through, or whatever difficult times they're going through, those, those, those times won't um, overcome them. And so today as a church, throughout this entire series, we're basically looking at from the perspective of and from the lens of being believers, being Christians. Um, how do we respond to these statements? Um, what do the scriptures say? And ultimately, we're looking at what words did Jesus actually say in reference to some of these statements um, that we make, these one-liners. And so I'll be walking us through three main points in our message um, as we look at what those points um, particularly look like. The first of which is... Um, what doesn't kill you often makes you weaker. Secondly, what doesn't kill you often is an opportunity for growth. And thirdly, what doesn't kill you is an opportunity to turn to Jesus so that he can be your strength. And so um, for those of you who take notes, the three points, again, I'll say what doesn't kill you often makes you weaker. Second point is what doesn't kill you is an opportunity for growth. And thirdly, what doesn't kill you is an opportunity to turn your eyes to Jesus and allow him to be your strength. Let me pray for us this morning. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, Lord, to thank you for the gift of another day. Um, we thank you that we've made it this morning, Lord. And as we talk about this topic that says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Lord. Help us hear what your word has to say. This, this, this topic that speaks about going through difficult times, through hardships, through difficult experiences. What did Jesus have to say about that? And Lord, ultimately, be with us. Speak to us this morning. May we open up our eyes and our ears. May you help us hear from you. May you help us be led by your spirit, Lord God. Speak through me this morning, Lord God, and speak, speak to us and challenge us as a church and as a people of God. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, church. Um, and so 
Our first point is what doesn't kill you is often something that makes you weaker. What we see here in particular in verses seven and eight, when Paul speaks about uh, this idea of going through hardship, um, you'll see in verses seven and eight, he speaks about how painful this experience is. But let me just give you a context. You, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves as being a teaching church. We teach God's word. And so we like to give context. So, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, in this context, Paul, the, the, the mighty apostle, is, is, is uh, earlier on in, in, in the chapter speaks about the fact that he has been exposed and he's been caught up and he's been taken to this third heaven he speaks about. He likens it to, 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 to paradise. You know, so, so, so um, basically, I mean, even as we think, as we look at scripture, the language of paradise and heaven is associated in, with, with being in the presence of God. Um, Jesus spoke to the one criminal and he said, today um, you will be with me um, in paradise. You know, so, so what we understand, what theologians say about this context of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is the fact that um, Paul has been given this revelation that is unique. Um, as somebody who's alive, still alive on this earth, he's been exposed to this beauty and this, this interaction with Jesus and seeing what heaven looks like. You know, we're always eager to know what heaven looks like. Um, and he, 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 he speaks to us in verse 7 and 8, and he says, this kind of experience can lead somebody to having pride. And so to prevent me from being conceited in verse 7, it says, therefore, I was, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. We don't quite know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, whether it was a, a literal thorn, a physical thorn, or whether it was a figurative thorn in the flesh. But nonetheless, what we understand is it wasn't a pleasant experience. Because in verse 8, we see it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me. You'll see in verse 7, there's this, the language that is used is, it, 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 was, a, it was an experience that tormented me. It was a painful experience. It wasn't a pleasant experience. And it has me thinking about the words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, where, where, where we see Jesus experiencing this moment just before he's about to be crucified. And the Bible says he, he asked the Lord three times that this, would, this cup would pass him by. Um, doctors speak about this phenomenon where he, the Bible says he was sweating blood. And, and, and doctors say that's an experience, that's an external expression of what is happening internally in the body where those moments do happen and it's excruciating. It's a painful experience. So, so, so before you go through this painful experience, you are one way. And then as you go through it and after you go through it, it's not pleasant. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at in this first point, particularly the statement that says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's, it's, it's often not true, church. There's limitations. And I believe there's, there's, in making that statement, the, the heart is in the right place. In making that statement, the idea is we're trying to encourage people. But I want to have us look at a couple of moments where we see the limitations in this one line. It sounds great. It's, it's, it sounds, yes, you say it. Ah, no, if I'm going through difficult times, yeah, yeah, I'll get through it because what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. But does it really make me stronger? Life often points to the fact that it doesn't necessarily make me stronger. You'll even see in the song by Kelly Clarkson, you know, the context in which she wrote that song, the first couple of verses, um, she speaks about the fact that she's gone through this heartbreak and, 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 and she was left behind by this man. And in her response, she says, no, I'm not heartbroken because what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So it's, it's, it's to get us to allow us to, 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 to feel better. And this context of what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger 
is it finds itself within the context of dealing with things that are very difficult, experiences that are very difficult, surviving experiences, surviving hardships. So I'm going to be using the language of hardships um, throughout our message this morning. So again, where we see that this, this statement is limited, there are a couple of examples I want to talk, um, talk to us about this morning. So Muhammad Ali, um, one of the best boxers of all time. By many, um, they actually call him the best boxer of all time. Um, his famous line is, I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You can't hit what you can't see. Hey, well, Muhammad Ali was great with language, you know? Um, but that's because he was quick. That's because he had quick reflexes. He could punch very quickly. He could evade punches quick on his feet. Strong specimen. You know, for those of you who have seen visuals of Muhammad Ali, the ultimate visuals are when he's, they show his stance. He's wearing white shorts and white sneakers and his opponent is on the ground because he's just knocked them out. Around 1984, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and uh, his life was never the same. He was getting older, so his health was deteriorating, but the Parkinson's just made things worse. The images and visuals where we see Muhammad Ali shaking. What was once one of the strongest men in the world went through a hardship, went through that which didn't kill him. He wasn't stronger, he was weaker. Another example I want to give, this is all within the sporting realm because I'm a big sports fan. Uh, Michael Schumacher, one of the, the greatest drivers of all time, said to be the greatest driver of all time by many. Um, seven um, championships. He's got a, a tremendous amount of, of, of world records. If you ask a couple of youngsters these days or those who um, have recently come into the sport or those who appreciate um, recent drivers, they'll say that Lewis Hamilton is the greatest driver of all time. So to the Formula One fans in the church, we won't get into that debate, but Lewis Hamilton has broken a couple of uh, Michael Schumacher's records. But Michael Schumacher was um, the best driver of, of all time behind the steering wheel and, and driving at those speeds is very uh, intense and strenuous on the body. And so they were in physical, um, in great physical condition, those who were driving, those who are Formula One drivers. And so he, he was known as somebody who you couldn't touch, you couldn't catch him. Tragically in 2013, he was on a skiing trip with, with his son. Um, an accident happened and he hit his head against a, a rock, I think it is. And doctors say if he wasn't wearing a helmet, he would have died. Over the past eight years, he's been fighting um, the outcome of that accident. He couldn't speak. He couldn't walk for the longest time. Um, and by the grace of God, I think the most recent report we got last year, November of 2020, was that he was getting better. Um, but this, the, here's this individual who accomplished so much. <laughs> this was this great, fast individual. But after this, this, this hardship, this this accident, which we can't always control, the things that, go, that we go through, he wasn't stronger. Sports injuries are a perfect example of the fact that more often than not, when you experience um, an injury, your body isn't as strong as it was before. And, and even as we look at scripture, we see that there, there are limitations. It is limited, this notion that says what doesn't kill makes you stronger. Um, because what we do see, even in scripture as we turn to it, um, we see that Jacob in, 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 in um, the book of Genesis, he wrestled with God, the Bible says. He held on. He said, I won't, I won't let go until you give me a blessing. And so he, they knocked his hip 
says the angel knocked his hip and he walked with a limp. He wasn't the same as he was before. Um, job, um, what, what, what we're told. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'm told my notes were blocking the camera. Wonderful. <laughs> um, we, we see that with Job as well, one of the experiences that we've seen is, is, is he lost his wealth, he lost his family, and he lost his health. And he wasn't necessarily stronger after that. Whether it's a physical experience or whether it's an emotional experience, it leaves us broken. When we experience rejection, failure, disappointment, loss, trauma, doesn't leave us stronger, does it? So that's the first myth that we, we see and that we debunk. No, what doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. It often leaves you weaker. Our second point for the morning is, what doesn't kill you is an opportunity for growth. What we see here in verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, Paul says, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, so Paul is excited at the prospect of what God can do through the hardship. Right, so that's what we see. It's, it's, it's not necessarily the pain that Paul is excited about, but it's this, 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 the, the potential that, that we see where, what can God do as we go through hardship? Because he's responding to the words of Jesus where he says, when, when you're weak, that's when you're strong. I think this is best understood in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And so there's this notion where James speaks about why we get excited. He says, consider it joy. Now, I will be honest with you, church. This notion of considering it joy has always been a hard, a hard one for me. Like, consider it joy when like, life is hard and you're experiencing tough, tough times. On a lighter note... <clears throat> Um, I'm a Bafana Bafana fan. Uh, I'm South African, born and raised. Um, and so I love Bafana Bafana. If I could show you a visual, I would show you a visual of the 1996 team that won the AFCON, um, Africa Cup of Nations. Um, that was that same team that followed up the 1995 world victory where the Springboks defeated the All Blacks here at home, you know, united the country. We had Nelson Mandela and Francois Pina, this moment, you know. So 95 to 96 was one of the best times, sporting, historically, sportingly speaking in South Africa, one of the best times for us as a nation. Yo, 2000 and, so 2021 and 1996, about 25 years ago. Bafana Bafana has taken me through the most. It's been painful to be a fan. Ups and downs, and you're hopeful, and you're praying, and you say, yes, Lord, we're going to turn it around. They get a new coach, they pay the millions, and we're still bad. We go out to the stadiums, we pay our money to go and see them play. We're hopeful this time, and they're still bad. Year after year after year, church, it's been hard being a Bafana Bafana fan. You know? I think to myself, Lord, how do I count it joy when they just break my heart time after time. And that's, again, on the lighter side, that's one small thing where the notion of counting it joy when you experience hardship doesn't make sense. 
But biblically speaking, from the perspective of being a Christian, what we're reminded of in this truth is the fact that the hope is in what God does after, what God does while we're going through it. It's an opportunity for growth. Um, and, 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 and there's one thing that I want to note. Um, we're going we're gonna to continue to look at sort of what opportunities for growth looks like. But one thing that I actually want to note is you'll notice in James chapter one, um, it speaks about the testing of your faith. And there are some of us here who ask the question, testing, so God tests us? In James chapter one, um, um, verse 13 to 15, it says, no, no, one, no one can say when they're tempted, they're tempted by God. So I just want to, I want to give us a slight distinction between when God, Satan versus ourselves experience hardships. Um, you know, uh, Reno often talks about the fact that uh, he likes to geek out and he's a Bible nerd, you know, when he goes hard into the text. Um, I also like to geek out on the text, um, the word of God, but I wouldn't classify myself as a Bible nerd. Um, so in this moment, for the next few minutes, just indulge me in this geeking out moment. Um, the note that I want to give is, around the source of our hardship. Because some of us, we put blame on, on, on God when it's not necessarily God. Sometimes it is God, but it's not always God. So through scripture, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna quickly read a couple of scriptures that speak to this, this idea of the source of hardship. So the first source of hardship is God. He tests us, he tests his people. The second source of hardship is Satan. He tempts his people. There's a difference between testing and tempting. The third source of hardship is ourselves. So we find ourselves in situations where it's us. Um, so when we see God, so, so just to look at a couple of verses that speak to God testing us, James chapter one, verse two says, um, yeah, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Job chapter seven, verses 17 and 18, Job says, what is mankind that you make so much of them that you, that, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and that you test them every moment. 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7, and all these, um, we greatly rejoice though now for a little while longer, we have to suffer in all kinds of trials. Isaiah 48 verse 10, see I have refined you, not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And then Genesis 22 verse one, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So we want it to be clear. Scripture teaches us and we see that God tests his people. God does test us, but then Satan tempts us. And the, and, and the difference between the two is God tests us and tests our faith so we can have an opportunity to grow in our character and grow closer to him. Whereas Satan tempts us to pull us away from God and, 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 and to have us fall and be distant to God. So a couple of examples of Satan tempting us is um, Job, one chap uh, Job chapter one, verses six to 12, we see that the angels were roaming around, they come to God, Satan is there with them. And basically Satan asks us for permission from God to, to, to allow Job to go through these experiences, right? So God allows what happens, but the source of the test is, is not always God. And so in, in, in Job chapter one, we see that uh, uh, Satan then is the one who instigates what happens to Job. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, we see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke chapter 22 verses 31 and 32, um, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, also known as Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen 
um, your, your, your brothers. And in Genesis 3, we see that um, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. I also then just want to note then, we sometimes are the reason that hardships happen in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting you. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and they are enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And we see Judas was, was tempted by his own selfish desires to gain that he betrayed Jesus. We see this in all the Gospels. In 1 Samuel, we see Saul is, 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 is in his pride. He's, he's nervous about David, this upcoming ruler, and he disobeys God and eventually goes on to try and kill David. And we see David himself in 2 Samuel 11. Um, he's, he's tempted by, by his lustful desires. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and he eventually even orchestrates the death and the killing of Uriah, Bathsheba's, or, um, Bathsheba's husband. And so there are different sources, different reasons um, why we go through hardships. But at the end of the day, and I think for where we are in the purpose of this message, I just wanted to note that because sometimes we do give God um, sort of unnecessary blame. Regardless of what the source of the hardship is though, we're here today, we're standing here. We're going through the hardship. And this message speaks to when we are going through the hardship, when we are dealing with the after effects of the hardship, what happens then? How do we respond? How do we deal with it? And that's what this, 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 this message and this, this passage in 2 Corinthians speaks to. There are a couple of verses that, 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 that I'd like to share with us that speak to this opportunity for growth that we experience um, as a result of going through tests and challenges and temptations. These notes are misbehaving. Okay. So the reason God tests us the way he does and the reason God allows us to go through the hardships that we go through is because it's an opportunity for growth, not strength, but growth. James chapter one, these verses we, we, we were going to put up real quick, speaks about the opportunity, right? Again, it says the testing of your faith must, must, must mature, right? So it says, for you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and lacking nothing. So perseverance, maturity, completion. Let's have a look at Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, verse three to five says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So perseverance, character, and hope. In 1 Peter chapter five, verse 10, it says, and the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, make you firm, and make you steadfast. So what doesn't kill you is an opportunity for growth because God wants you to have perseverance, to have maturity, to have completion, to, to, to have character, to have hope, to be strong, steadfast, and firm. And so hardships are not about me being strong, no, no, no. There's a, there's a holistic approach. There's, there's a holistic desire that God has for us as his children. That as we go through hardships, 
the, 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 end, the, the end product, the outcome, his desire is that we grow. As we grow, we trust in him. We, we experience his love. But more so, we are then able to handle this hardship and other hardships as a result of that. Our third and final point is what doesn't kill you is an opportunity to turn to Jesus and to allow him to be our strength. I, I, I want to sit in this for some time. Well, my time is running out, but the Lord has been laying it on my heart this, this whole week, and for the past couple of weeks in preparing this message. Um, that we need hope. And I'm not saying we collective, like fellowship um, city as a church. We're going through so much as individuals, things that people know and things that people don't know. Um, this message and the series is not just for the sake of you know, having these, these catchy things, playing these songs and laughing and all that, which is great. You know, God doesn't have a problem with that, but we're going through life. We're going through things. And God wants to remind us that he's here. He loves us. He loves you. And he's here for, for each one of us to get through this hardship. What doesn't kill us, though sometimes we wish and pray it had killed us, is an opportunity for us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, full in his wonderful face. In verse 9 um, of this text, of our teaching text, you'll see, um, so 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Jesus said to Paul in response to the torment of the thorn in the flesh, in his response to him pleading three times that he allows this to pass. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, the Greek word is charis. It's a, it's a favor from God. It's a, it's a looking well upon someone giving them goodness that you don't necessarily need to give them. So, so Jesus says, my, my favor, my goodness is enough for you. Essentially, I am enough for you. Jesus is enough for us. He says, because my power is made perfect at the point where you recognize you can't do it on your own. This is why Paul gets excited this is why James says, consider it joy. Because we can literally sit in the arms of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus says, at the point where you are weak, there's a scholar who says, um, the, 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 our, the sort of the, 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 the human weakness creates the perfect opportunity for divine power. It's when I acknowledge my weakness it's when I acknowledge that I've tried everything and I just can't get it right. I've tried to go to every outlet, every source that I possibly can. And I just, it's not coming right. 
Jesus is saying, it's at that point. I, I say, come to me, my child. It's at the point where I'm willing to lay everything down and put it at his feet. And by the way, it doesn't mean at the point where we do let, this, this, let it go and we put it in the, in, in the hands of Jesus that he fixes everything. Unfortunately not. Because we see Paul still pleaded. The phone wasn't removed. When Jesus asked God, his father, that this cup may pass him by, he didn't prevent him from going through that. Because sometimes we have this desire, Lord, like, yes, the moment I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, everything is perfect. Unfortunately not. But that's okay. Because as the song says, he walks with us. He walks with us. He's saying, I'm there for you. We've got examples, many examples in scripture where where, um, Jesus encounters people and he asks them a conversation of, do you have the faith to believe that I can heal you? And he heals them. There's a woman with blood who was, who was struggling for 12 years, and she's like, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus, I believe I can, I can be healed. There's a man uh, in the pool of Bethesda who was sick for 38 years. No one was helping him. At the point that Jesus came into his life, he was healed. So church, Jesus is in our lives. Jesus is saying, I know it hurts. I know it's painful. In the book of Hebrews, we're reminded that we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize. He knows. Not only does he know, he's saying, I'm here, my child. Come to me. This morning, my, my, my heart and my prayer is that I mean, I believe just the Lord has just been putting this in, they say impressing this on my heart, is, is, is that we can hear those words this morning. That Jesus is saying, come to me. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. I think we also have that and we're going to put it up. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has open arms. He's saying, come to me. You know, the interesting thing about that first point in our message this morning, which says what doesn't kill you often makes you weaker, is because these hardships and these experiences, they can devastate you. They can really leave you even doubting your faith. And I think the, the, one of the things that we, we, we have an opportunity to appreciate with this message, with this scripture, with what the Bible teaches us is 
Statements and one-liners like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger often has this aspect of me trying to convince myself and me trying to lie to myself to get through something, often without even dealing with it. It's okay to acknowledge the hurt and the pain. It's okay to acknowledge how difficult it is. It's okay to acknowledge that you just feel defeated day in and day out. It's okay that it hurts. It's okay that you're still healing. It's okay that you're still mourning. It's okay that you doubt your faith sometimes. It's okay. Because God loves you. It's okay because like a parent, many of you in the church are parents. You wish you could make the bad things or the painful things go away for your kids, but you recognize all, all you can do is just be there. And oh, isn't that so beautiful? That's, just, that's what Jesus wants to do for us, church. He's saying, I'm here, my arms are open. We'll figure it out together. We, we don't have to have all the answers today, but I'm here. Come to me. I'm gonna ask that we put up Matthew 11, um, one last time, and as we transition and as we pray, I'd like you to look at these words from Jesus himself. We think about the fact that Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In Matthew 11, he's saying again, my my. My yoke is easy, another version says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble. I'm going to take a moment to pray for us as a church. Um, You'll see one of the questions in the reflection times is asking the question, what's that hardship that you want prayer for? I think it's important for us as a church to remember that we're a community. One of the things we do well as a church is with with city group, we are able to be there for each other. God doesn't always miraculously just show up in in spirit. No, no, he shows up through people. So I want to take this moment to encourage you, if you're not already in city group, please get plugged in. Pray for God to give you community. Um, I remember Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life been pastor for, for, for decades. His son committed suicide a while back and he says that was the hardest thing he's ever had to experience. He couldn't preach, he couldn't get up. Him and his wife, they just struggled. And he says, you know, our Bible study showed up for us. Our Bible study showed up for us. Church, you've got brothers and sisters who God has sent to you Let's, let's, let's take that opportunity. So let's bow our heads. Um, as we bow our heads, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to think about, um, uh, for some of us, the hardship is big, it's massive. For others of us, the hardship is a smaller hardship. 
whether it's big or small, God cares. He cares about it. So I want us to reflect and to think about that hardship that has just been very difficult for us, that which didn't kill us. And I want you to put it at the front of your mind and, and lift it up to the Lord. Um, if you're comfortable during breakouts, when that question comes, share what you're comfortable with. If you prefer, um, we're going to, Lisa and myself will be staying after service and we'll take a moment to pray for people who can message us. But let's take God's call and invite to turn to him seriously. Let us pray, church. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you um, this day, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we thank you that you're a God who speaks. We thank you that you're a God who cares. There are those who believe that you're a God who created, <laughs> created us, created the world, and then you watch from a distance. Oh, no. Praise the Lord, that's not you. Praise you that that's not you, Lord. You are an involved God. You are Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus Christ was born, he was named Jesus for he would save the world from their sins, but he is also called Emmanuel, God with us. Because you're a God who walks with us. You, you, you are with us every single day. You remind us you will never leave us nor forsake us. You're a God of presence. You're a God of relationship, Lord. We thank you for that, Father. And so this morning, Lord, you know who needed this message, Father. And I pray that you may continue stirring up in our hearts. Stir up, Lord, what you want us to hear from you this morning, Lord Jesus. Turn us to you, Father. You're a good, good father. You love us. You, you, you so loved us that you sent your son, whom this morning you're reminding us is saying, turn to me. Come to me. Come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your burdens. So Jesus, I pray that we may respond to your, to your invite. For those who are, who are interacting with and entertaining the thought of knowing Jesus for the first time, Lord. Allow them to reach out after service. For those of us who have been walking with you for decades, remind us that you love us just the same. And the invite exists for us just the same. Thank you that you're a God who loves us, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're a God who loves us. So I pray that you may be with the rest of our service this morning, Lord. I pray that you may be with the breakouts. Um, may we allow the spirit to move in our breakouts, Lord. I pray that you may continue to be there for us and you may continue to comfort us. May we always remember when we hear the words, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. May we think to ourselves, nope, nope. That <laughs> doesn't kill you is an opportunity to turn to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen.